Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Thank you for listening to this Words and Nerds podcast takeover episode. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Alison Tate, author of epic adventure series for middle grade readers, The Mapmaker Chronicles, The Adaban Cipher Novels, and The Maven and Reeve Mysteries. And I'm here today taking over from Danny's Danny V with Alison Rushby who is best known for her award-winning novels for middle grade readers, including The Turnkey, The Mulberry Tree and The Ghost Locket, but is the author of a total of more than 25 books across many sections of the bookshop shelves, including books for YA readers, books for adults and her latest series, Miss Penny Dreadful, which is for junior readers. Welcome to Words and Nerds, Alison Rushby. Hello, hello. It's very good to be here. Now, I do need to uh, disclose that Alison Rushby and I know each other very, very well. Uh, not only do we uh, manage the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group together, but Al and I met about 175 years ago, standing in line for coffee, I think it was, at a romance writer's uh, conference. We were both writing uh, romance novels at the time. Al was very, very well published and doing brilliantly well. And I was trying to work out how to get a happy ending out of what I'd started. Um, so we've known each other for a really long time. And I've watched her her stellar career explode across all these different types of books. And for me, the crossing categories aspect of her creativity is is something that I thought needed exploring because there aren't that many authors out there that can lay claim to having written for every section of the bookshelf from junior fiction all the way up to adult. Um, And there is a little bit of an idea out there, I think, that publishers won't let you do that or don't want you to do that because, you know, once you kind of establish yourself in a section, they want you to stay there. So Al is here to talk about how, you know, you sort of like, I don't know, ram road or (laughs) railroad your way through that but let's start with your new novel Al let's talk about Miss Penny Dreadful and the Midnight Kittens which is your first for junior readers why did you write this story for this age group well I think that I've been considering writing a little bit younger for a while and this seemed like a good opportunity to do it just because it was very I knew it was going to be quite fast paced. I knew there was going to be that sort of mystery element, which would be, you know, lend itself to that to be quite fun and fanciful. And, you know, the time period is Victorian and a few of the things that I was coming, that I was sort of researching and, and looking at was all sort of um, 
there were things that just tended to be a little bit younger, like, um, you know, tableau of uh, stuffed kittens, because that's what you know, <laughs> small people just really enjoy, isn't it, stuffed kittens? But they just seem to be a little bit younger, skewed towards a, that younger market than, say, middle grade or, you know, even further up. Can you, so explain, can you explain that, though? Because, like, when, when you say that, when if I was researching mm-hmm. that area of the sort of... Um, of that story it's, it's I mean talk let's tell me tell us a little bit about the story and why you chose that sort of that sort of setting for okay. it because yeah. I think that had I been given that setting and that particular story I would probably have gone older like with the it. other so way was, yeah so I was interested yeah. that you went younger and I'd like to know why so tell us yeah. a little bit about okay it. so um in Miss Penny Bit Dreadful and the Midnight Kins, this is the start of a series. So there's three books planned. But in the first book, we meet Penny, who's at a very boring, very staid boarding school. And uh, it's she sort of dreams of her aunt who writes Penny Dreadfuls. She's this amazing, you know, Victorian authoress who writes these very fantastical tales. She dreams of her aunt turning up at her boarding school and whisking her away on one of her aunt's, you know, um, adventures where she goes off to research her the tales that she's writing. And then one day Aunt Harriet does just that. She comes to Penny's boarding school, informs Penny that her parents have gone missing and asks Penny, hey, are you as bored at this boarding school as I was when I was here? And Penny says, well, yes, I am rather. And then she, uh, Aunt Harriet whisks her away on one of her research adventures. But of course, you know, at the same time, Penny, as, as looking at her aunt's, you know, uh, research adventures, she has to also, she has her own mystery to solve, which is the mystery of her missing parents. Now, I think sort of one interesting thing that um, that cropped up when I was thinking about what age group I wanted to write this for, um, I did remember um, my agent saying to me a while ago that when I, I was I was writing another book and I wasn't sure whether to make it middle grade or YA, and it had a talking fox in it, and my agent said, "You've got a talking fox. That's middle grade." So there are these right, elements, right. I think, where you can tell, right, this is for a younger audience. I don't necessarily know if that's true. I think every book would be better with a talking fox in it. <laughs> but um, I can see the point. There's some elements that just lend itself to a specific audience, I suppose. And this one had more of those younger elements in it. What I find fascinating about it, and, you know, I'm just asking for a friend here, not anyone we would ever have met before, (laughs) is how is that, like, when you describe that to me, and we're talking about Penny Dreadfuls, which are like purple prose and epic stories and, you know, not totally suitable for children, um, you know, how do you take that and distill what to me would end up to be a 65,000 very word, very complicated middle grade novel. How do you distill that down and still keep that pace really, you know, keep the pace high and the interest high and the structure tight? How do you do that? Yeah. I think you just one, talk me through that? I think one of the things that I struggled with went, because these are only 20,000 words, which is a bit of an, it's kind of a here nor there sort of, you know, word count really, isn't it? It's not like that junior, junior fiction and mm. it's not middle grade. It's like it's almost half a normal middle grade. Yeah, it's like half book. a book Yeah, or a third. Yeah, and so I did have to ask myself quite a lot, do I need this information in this 
you know, how am I going to keep this pace up? Do I need to include this? So I did have to ask myself that all the time. Otherwise, I was going to get bogged down in the details, I think. So did you find yourself just removing details a lot? Is that how yeah, it, I yeah. did. I did. I sort of had to pull myself back quite a bit because I'm used to writing longer form, like that sort of 45 to 55,000, where you've got a little bit more space. You've got room to move and explore more subplots. And, and, and maybe I guess the, the big thing in uh, Miss Penny Dreadful is the subplot is pretty light on. You know, right. We do have that continuing subplot of Penny is looking for her parents but she learns a little thing in each book rather than you're exploring a whole subplot yeah. in that one book because, of course, it's a series. So you've yeah. got the space to do that too. So yeah. I'm interested in the, so, you know, you were saying that you had been researching the Victorian thing and the Penny Dreadfuls and stuff. So you've kind of had the idea um, mm. and then you see where it fits. It's not, a, it's not a sense of sitting down and thinking, I'm going to write a YA novel and then formulate an idea that's going to work for that. Yeah. Or, or does it work both yeah. ways for you? I think this one, I've been going into schools at the moment because, you know, it's that time of year. And one of the things I've been t- talking to the kids about is how um, I've been taking them through three of my books and showing them how one of them came from a setting, one of them came from a character, and one of them came from a problem or, mm. or a plot. And this one, uh, Miss Penny Dreadful, really came very specifically from a character. And that was because I'd been reading, I decided to read a Penny Dreadful because it was the series on TV and I realised I had never actually read a Penny Dreadful. So I tried to read one. It was a disaster. I think I got about 50 pages in before I chucked it. <laughs> it just didn't <laughs> translate well to today's sort of fiction. And uh, But it made me wonder, who were these unhinged writers writing this stuff? And so I very quickly came up with this character of Aunt Harriet, who is, you know, this famous authoress of Penny Dreadful novels, and she's totally unhinged, Aunt Harriet. And so I came up with her first, but because I couldn't write a book about Aunt Harriet because it's a children's fiction. So why, then why I had not, to build the world around her. Why not then write Aunt Harriet's story? Why not write it for adults? Because you do write for adults as well. Like when you describe to me yeah. an unhinged writer writing Penny Dreadfuls, I'm all over that as well as an idea. Yeah. Like you, I guess what I, I guess what I'm trying to do for our listeners out there is, <laughs> is distill this process of how yeah. you how narrow you it down. You don't want to get into this crazy mind. <laughs> I, I do. Um, I suppose at the time I wasn't writing adult fiction at the time. Mm. I can, you know, I can actually see though, Aunt Harriet really lends herself to this children's market. She's, you know, as I imagined her, she was in these outlandish, you know, orange tartan frocks and she had a squirrel monkey and she was always um, sucking on peppermint humbugs and writing, writing, writing furiously in her notebook. And I just thought she would be an amazing character to be given a child in the way that she would you would get unlimited freedom around her because she would just be like well you go and do your thing I'm busy writing and you know how that is like that's what (laughs) you've often had a child haven't you like going on about something while you're standing at the kitchen bench chopping something up and thinking about your characters this is Aunt Harriet yes and it's interesting too because Aunt Harriet is also you know, for me as a writer, possibly um, easier to get my head around 
from an observer's perspective yeah. than to actually get inside her Into and her write too. the story. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. She, I think that she is better from that perspective. Um, I don't think you necessarily want to be in Aunt Harriet's head because all she thinks about <laughs> is writing. So well, be, be like being in our heads. Yeah, kind of. So who wants to be there? <laughs> but it is true. I think she's more of a fun character to be around than she is to, you know, to anything from first person from Aunt Harry just would not work. No, you don't want to inhabit her. It'd be really um, one-dimensional. How much impact does the state of the publishing market at any given time have on your decisions about what to write and for whom? Like, do you do you mm. look at what's out there and go, I need to I need to write one for this particular spot, or wow. is it just that's a, such a good question, isn't it? Um, no, well, you know, you I like to ask good questions. <laughs> well, you just can't. You can't think like that because by the time you see something, you're like, oh, well, look, um, you know, angels are hot right now. Well, mm. by the time you write something mm. and then submit it angels are well out so you just you cannot you cannot think like that um it just it's not going to work out with you and the other thing is I think too if you're writing to the market I mean something I also talk about with kids in schools a lot is finding your weird and finding what makes you tick because the things that you adore and gravitate towards in fiction when you're reading that's what you should be writing about that's what's Mm. going to excite you and you can't excite the readers if you cannot excite yourself into into writing you know what your subject is in the first place so true now I happen to know from inside intel that you are among the more serious of the planners in my life <laughs> in fact if there was going to be a scale with me at one end you would be probably right at the other end is the process of planning um the same no matter what age group you're writing for yep <laughs> that was a totally short answer <laughs> I do. I mean, look, I've been doing this for a long time now. So my first book came out in 2000, I think. And so I came to writing quite young because mm. I'm so usable now. Yes, you were just out of high school. <laughs> but, um, and I think I had, when I started, I was not a, a plotter at all, like, because I didn't know what I was doing. And it's only over the year, as the years have progressed that I've seen, oh, this this is really helpful. You know, I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of, um, you know, writing books and um, done a lot of courses and things. And there's things I've picked up along the way that I just find very helpful, especially because I always write probably about a five-page synopsis or so, or so before I start a project. So I need to know where the whole thing's going to start with or it just doesn't work in my head and I need a title too I need a title to cling on to even if it changes later on um interesting so do you come up with the title first or do you do the synopsis first usually usually I'll have the title really early on and Mm. I reckon maybe 75 percent of the time it doesn't change wow yeah it's usually pretty set in stone but I do use very uh specific um plotting tools now um whereas I used there's a couple that do you want to know about them or not? Yeah, I do. Okay. No, tell us. Yeah. Tell us okay. exactly what your plotting um, tools are. Okay, so one that really spoke to me, I always struggled very, very badly in the middle of a, of a manuscript, and that especially when I was writing adult fiction because, wow, like it's 80,000, 90,000 words. That's, that's a long middle, yeah. Mm. So uh, one thing that really spoke to me that I read was um, writing from the mid 
middle outwards, I think the book is called. I would have mm. to check that. But it's all about finding the midpoint, which is, you know, that that mirror moment in the book where the um, your uh, hero or heroine sort of has this, this turning point and, you know, looks at themselves in the mirror, whether it's metaphorical or not, and makes all these choices. That really spoke to me because I was struggling so badly in the middle. I realized that that was probably the first thing I needed to work out. Right. So um, now I do kind of work out that, that midpoint moment, first of all. And then the other thing that really spoke to me was um, the plot embryo. So Rachel Stephen with a PH runs this very, it's an amazing little, I think it's five or seven day course and it's absolutely free. And she sends you a little video each day. It is the best thing I have never spent any money on. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, every time I use it, and I did buy her printable and thing like things like that because I felt terrible. I've like I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on courses, and this is by far the best one I've ever done. Uh, she has uh, a lot about that midpoint as well, where everything turned your uh, protagonist turns from being reactive to proactive. And that right. spoke to me a lot. So I use that in, in all my fiction, really. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people would say, and I'm not one of them, I just want to point that out, that, you know, like for me, it's, it's about, you know, you work out the process that works best for you. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people would say that, you know, planning or plotting, you know, that kills the creativity of the story. Um, and what, like, what would be your response to that? I just don't think that's true. It's not like um, I did mean to tell you the other day that I went back through a, manu- a long manuscript that's almost 90,000 words and I, um, I put a new scene in to the very start of the manuscript ooh, and I thought, oh, I better tell Al about that. Look at me <laughs> living on the wild side. You on the edge, baby. <laughs> um, I don't think that's true at all. It does not mean that you are not being creative. It just stories are you know, all stories are the same. That's what makes you, you know, get the warm fuzzies from a story that you, you know, you're getting this sense of this circular motion and the story coming full circle and, you know, hitting all those specific beats. People have always been drawn to stories that are told in the same way. And, you know, you need to have that sense of fulfilment in a story. Um, So I just, I don't think it stifles your creativity at all. It actually, it probably helps you to draw out your themes better and really, you know, be more thoughtful about what you're writing about. Hmm. You don't get bored because you know what's going to happen? I would hate not knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where, you this scare is where me. we differ. <laughs> you scare me. <laughs> so are you someone who writes every day? Like, you, like you've got four books coming out this year. So, like, you're fairly busy. Are you someone who, are you working on something, you know, every single day? I am working on something every day, but it's not always writing. Um, you know, when I'm in the thick of writing something, I'll often write quite hard and quite fast. Um, you've probably seen my uh, Instagram and Facebook posts recently where all I'm doing is watching people on YouTube write in different cities and then I'm sitting down at my computer and writing alongside the doing the Pomodoro method you know 30 minutes on 10 minutes off so I'm writing with all these random people on YouTube all the time so I will usually write you know I'll get right into a project and, and and give myself a month you know like to write more yeah, heavily and then 
I know that August, you know, I'm not going to be writing at all because I'm speaking and, and I tend to only speak in certain months. I find I can't dip in and out of speaking. I like to do the one talk, go out, do my talk in school, <laughs> come home. Yeah. So I like to have it all sectioned off. I can't chop and change too much. I can like between projects, but you know, speaking, editing, right. It's too much all at once. She likes the spreadsheet for all of these things. Oh, I hate color coded with a, with a passion. No, I would never touch Excel. No. <laughs> so you obviously you also have like ideas and manuscripts at, at different stages all the time. Yeah. So yeah. you know, how do you like if you if you're having to edit and you're having to you know write and you're having to do whatever? Um, are you using that synopsis to get you back into the voice and character of the book each time or you know how are you keeping track of where you are um and you're not I even probably, using a spreadsheet no never I would not usually write two manuscripts at the same time like I mm. might write one and copy edit one mm. I might write one and do page proofs of one um, I might write one and go speaking but I wouldn't usually write two at the same time Okay. Yeah. So I don't find that I need to dip in and out. I do have a whole series of, um, you know, look, when you get to this point, when you've been doing it this long, you have certain pens you use, certain notebooks (laughs) you use, certain like manila folders you use. (laughs) It's like office work sees me coming, just lays it out for me. (laughs) But, you know, you do have your little rituals and, you know, I do have a lot of notebooks and each has a colour-coded folder for all the projects I'm working on because otherwise I'd be lost. Chaos. Um, all right. So as I said, you do have, I, I think it's four this year, isn't it? Four? We talked about four. Are you counting the overseas ones? <laughs> I don't know. I, I know what I'm counting. Something like that. All right. So you've had, well, you've had two so far. You've had The Ghost Locket and Miss Penny Dreadful. Yes. And the Midnight Kittens. Yes. And you've and got more to come. Can you tell us what's still to come? Uh, I've got a young adult out in October called The right. Stand-In. And then I, I think the only other thing is the um, UK edition of The Ghost Locket will be out All right. in November. Okay. So that yeah. is four. So that's four. Okay, I'm yeah. going to count that for four. Yeah. So given that and given I know how much time goes into, which is I think new authors don't always fully uh, understand is coming, is, is the promotion time and how much that kind of takes out of your schedule? Um, yeah. How do you manage that business? Like if you're going to have to do it like three times for new books and then an overseas edition, how do you manage that within your creative time as well? Yeah, uh, like putting out spot fires. <laughs> that doesn't sound very professional does it no but you'll just have everything written down I you know I have a calendar and I'll just write everything down in it and you know you do I do find that I've got one of those weekly calendars and a monthly calendar and you know I have to have them on the wall so I can see them so I do know when I've got longer spaces of time to keep writing something or you know you do know when the next copy edit's due so it is it's like slots and but I guess this is like anybody's job isn't it you if you have a, a normal job, you have all your meetings in your calendar and it's it's just the same. I guess um, a lot of people I meet will sort of think, oh, wow, you're so lucky you've got this really creative job. But we, you know, we do have a creative job, but in between that creativity, there's a lot of other things besides, you know, being creative. Yeah, which I, I guess the thing is too that um, 
you know, uh, even when it's your full-time job, um, you don't often have, like I know, you know, I talk to new authors a lot about, and they're like, oh, if I just had one day a week, I'd get this book written. You know, I just need, I just need two days to myself and I'll get this book written. And the reality of it is, is that even when you're writing full time, you don't, you don't often get that, do you? You don't often get that sort of acre of time that you think you might need to, to actually get some words written. Yeah, no, it's, really actually quite rare so you know every I remember a couple of years ago I started going I started thinking to myself next month will be better <laughs> <laughs> I have been I'm thinking still that waiting for, for next month <laughs> <laughs> next Everybody's... month's going to be less crazy <laughs> next month is going to be awesome yeah. do you do you find it difficult to be that sort of cross cross category thing like in the sense of do like do is there ever I guess organizing your website must be one of the things that that you know, becomes difficult when the sense you've got adult books, YA books, middle grade books, junior fiction, like, have you ever had a situation where an agent or publishers just said, look, you just need to focus on writing one thing, Alison? Um, I have, I have, as in, I think it would be tidier, you know, publishers would like you to be this certain kind of writer. And, you know, you, lots of people line up to buy your books and then each year you put one out and it's a little bit different to the last book and everybody would be very happy with that but the reality is like you're probably going to get very bored (laughs) (laughs) I would get very bored I mean that's I don't really know many writers like that so I just and I don't think um, I did hear someone talking about it the other day I think it was Abby Emmons, I think, who's got a big YouTube channel. And she was saying that in, you know, in the new digital age, readers don't really care if you like that or not. Uh, that, you know, it's not like they're limited to just going into a bookstore and going, oh, look, there's the new, you know, yeah, there's the new book by X and picking that up once a year or at Christmas or at Mother's Day or whenever they're used to doing it. Now they have access to you as an author. They have access to you on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and they're more interested in you as a person than than your uh, product. So they still want your product, of course, but they are often more interested in you as a personality and uh, attaching themselves to you than necessarily just to your work. Mm. So are you on TikTok now, Al? No. <laughs> <laughs> probably my cat and my dog are. <laughs> I was going to say, what will we do without our pets? Um, so when we first met, you were writing for adults. Is that something that you would do again? Yes, it is. It's something I'm doing again at the moment, actually. Oh. So, which is very exciting. Um, I've just finished a, like kind of a, a middle-aged beachy read. <laughs> Ooh, sign me up. <laughs> and um, I'm pretty sure I wrote it because it, there's a lot of tinsel jackets in it. And I'm pretty sure I wrote it just because I wanted to buy a tinsel jacket. But so I got a tinsel jacket. Right. But um, it's been lots of fun to dip back into that area. And I just, I had the idea a few years ago and I just... There was no good reason for me to write that book and I had no time to write it, but I wrote it anyway because I just felt compelled to write it and I had an actually really good time doing it. So it was worth it. It was worth Jesus. all those hard, hard hours at the keyboard. Now, now it's worth <laughs> now it. Now I can it's say over. that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was very painful at the time. Yeah. Um, now we spend a bit of time together in the Your Kids Next Read community managing our 
what has become a small town of people who are interested in um, children's literature, um, 25,000 something members. Um, just saying, yeah. Just, just, I'm just going to drop that. That was a flex. Did you like my flex? Um, how do you think being a member of that community has impacted on your creativity? Like when you kind of like enmeshed in something where people are always looking for books for kids? I think it's been really interesting to see what the kids are drawn to when the parents talk about, um, you know, parents and guardians talk about what the kids are reading, what they're excited about. It's really interesting to see the things that they really love and just gobble up. And one of the things that I really noticed is, you know, there's a big divide between those really quite young books, you know, like the Billy B. Brown books and things like that. There's a big jump up to the next category. There's not a lot in that sort of middle ground for them, maybe about seven to 10,000 words. Mm. Um, so a lot of younger ones. And then it's quite a bit of a leap. And you, you see the parents going, oh, they like this one, but it's, you know, all I can find after that is chapter books and that's a bit hard. So I think there was a real sort of call out for these um, maybe things that are about seven to 10,000 words, but still quite highly illustrated because mm. of course the kids are, they can really get through these books. I mean, they need a lot of them and they do love a good series. And so I thought I'm going to try writing something like that just because people were calling out for it so much. All right. So, and that's coming when? Um, that is coming next year. Right. Next year, about, so stay uh, tuned. I think June, July. Stay tuned, everyone. And then we can have yeah. another conversation about how you, for my friend, how you manage to write high interest, you know, stories with high stakes yeah. and not enough complications to sink a battleship yeah. like your friend tends to write. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, Al, well, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, where can we find you online and keep up to date with all of your various projects? Ah, you can find me on my website, which is just alisonrushby.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and not TikTok yet. <laughs> unless you're looking for cats um, and you will find me Alison Tate at alisontate.com A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com you'll find me on Instagram Facebook Twitter not TikTok not yet um, but if you are interested in uh, books for young readers you will find Alison and I in the Your Kids Next Read Facebook community just search us up and uh, we would love to have you on board thank you very much for your time Thank you, thank you. Thanks, everybody.